Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, an unconventional podcast for the unconventional music lover, brought to you by Music on the Move Studios, a woman-led company working to help musicians move their careers forward through education and live events. I'm your host, Katie Thompson. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I am really excited about this episode, you guys, because my nerd is going to come out hardcore. So... I had the honor and privilege of sitting down with Allie Sperry. And Allie just released this brand new record called In Front of Us this year. And I'm obsessed with it. And I'm going to tell you why I'm obsessed with it. It is straight out of the 1960s Laurel Canyon songwriter's paradise vibe. And if you don't know what Laurel Canyon is or what that means as far as like songwriting is concerned, basically, back in the 1960s, all of the songwriters that were, you know, massively prominent. So you're talking Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Mamas and the Papas, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, literally all of those massive heavy hitting songwriters, Joni Mitchell, you know, Carole King, they were all pretty much living in the same neighborhood in Laurel Canyon, California. And so there's this vibe that just started to come out in folk music, right? And this is right around the time where folk music, you know, what Bob Dylan was doing essentially, where it went electric. Everybody went electric. And that was also with the development of the Rickenbacker 12-string electric guitar. If you want to know more about that sound, go watch the, the documentary Echo in the Canyon and you will you'll learn everything about it. But I digress. So Allie's music from the very first note of the first song on the record, which is Climber, I was hooked. I was instantly transported to the 1960s. And if you guys can't tell, obviously, I like a lot of the history from the 1960s. I'm a nerd, right? So my record collection is predominantly of 1960s songwriters and artists from the time. I mean, I love all decades of music, but that particular decade really spoke to me, especially even even as a child. I've I've always been obsessed with 60s music. So for for me to get transported, just teleported back to that era and, and that sound, I immediately like it just it hit me. You know, it was like a wall of sound that just hit me and I just shut my eyes and I was like Oh my God. <laughs> so I am really excited about this album. I love it. I love literally every single song on it. But one of the songs that Allie and I talk about the most is Excuses. Because for her, this is kind of, this is her protest song, right? So this is, this is Allie's way of just going, you know what? I'm pissed. And here's why I'm pissed. So without any further ado, this is Excuses by Allie Sperry. Everyone's attacking you
Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, everybody. I am your host, Katie Thompson, and with me today is Ali Sperry. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you, Katie? Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming on and, and doing this uh, episode with me. I'm so excited to talk about your new LP because <laughs> it's it's just beautiful. And um, when Susan, when your manager recommended that I have you on, I immediately started listening and was like, <gasps> these are all of the sounds that I love. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad that was your reaction. <laughs> yes. So, okay, I have to, I have to ask you right out the gate and yeah. I want to see if, if I, if I nail this here, I want to ask if maybe certain artists influence the sound of this record for you. So I'm going to name like three and you let me know if I, if I get yeah. close. Okay. Okay. All right. So first one, Joni Mitchell. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Nailed. Yeah. All right. Number two, Linda Ronstadt. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number two. All right. Okay. Yeah. And number three, Tom Petty. Yes. Wow. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those are three of my musical heroes that probably influence everything I do for sure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously you can hear it. Well, that's, I'm glad that that came across. Yeah. Joni Mitchell, well, all of them, but Joni Mitchell in particular was kind of my first true love musically. And um, yeah, from a young age, I just really glommed onto her music and was like, oh my God, who is this woman? And uh, yeah, I feel like she's sort of the holy grail of songwriting that, you know, we're all trying to achieve somewhere in that realm. <laughs> yeah, well, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Brandy Carlisle. And oh, yeah. so when she covered the Blue album, yeah, incredible. Oh, it was just, it was nuts. It, I got to like rediscover Joni all over again. Yes, yeah. And she just put together that amazing um, tribute show for Joni. I mean, she's, a, yeah, it's so great. I feel like she's kind of a, a bridge to help younger generations learn about Joni's music and be exposed to it that maybe wouldn't be listening to it. Otherwise. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that. And that's see, that's one of the things that I love about when, you know, current artists today, they, they take the time to really pay homage to their heroes and bring into the, yeah. and bring them back into the spotlight a little bit. And, and then, you know, younger, younger people than even you and I, they, they're just like, Oh, wait a minute, who's this person? Why haven't I heard this music before? Yeah, right. I think, yeah, there's just been good music happening for as long as there have been people so it's absolutely dive back in to some of the older stuff yeah well and so let's let's do that um especially in talking about your new lp in front of us so you really went for kind of a laurel canyon vibe right yeah i mean it's funny because we didn't really i don't even know if we necessarily planned it that way but it just definitely unfolded and i guess the music that you love is going to pour out into the music that you make anyway and you're going to gravitate towards the sound and um, my husband was producing the record Jamie Dick and we luckily like a lot of the same music so I think it was it was easy you know for it to move in a direction that we both were really excited about and that brings in some of that music from the 70s and 60s even that we both really love and yeah but it was also um I mean, it, we had a vision for sure, but it was also kind of like hodgepodge in the way that we put it together because it was fully 
pandemic style and all of our parts were recorded from home and all of everybody else's parts were recorded from their home. So um, yeah, I'm just so grateful and proud that it actually sounds as cohesive as it does and doesn't sound like, oh, that's just something they threw together. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> you know? doesn't sound like something that was like recorded in a bedroom for sure. Yeah, yeah good. Because it really <laughs> was in various bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I think that's I think that's incredible. And so so when did you actually start writing the material for this record? Well, I would say about half of it was old was already written. Like I think I had five or six songs to start out with that I was like, okay, I know this is my new record. Um, I think we started with excuses, safe in front of us. Um, I forget which other ones, but I know those for sure were like, I have these songs written, they're going to be on the record. And they were songs, yeah, that I, I think safe is maybe the oldest song on there. And that was written in 2017. So it's been around a while, but, um, yeah, it's funny, you know, when you're writing lots of songs and then when some just kind of rise to the top of the pile and feel like, okay, this is going to be an album and these are going to work together. And so once we started with the half that I had written already, then it was during the recording process that I started writing the other ones to, you know, and it was nice because then there was a base of like, okay, there's a theme arising. There's certain themes that are weaving together. And so I could kind of fill in the spaces and see what, what else I wanted to say on there. Right. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Um, but I guess it gave you a really good reference point to try to make the record sound cohesive. Yeah, it really did. And, and again, I'm so, I mean, obviously, you know, the pandemic has been really hard and devastating for so many reasons, but, um, but it was such a singular, unique time in all of our lives, you know, no matter what you were doing. And we had the good fortune to, you know, really be home, you know, we were just home and had a lot more space and time. And so, um, so it was easy to be inspired and just dedicate time to writing and, um, and recording. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that was the case for a lot of us. And, you know, I know a lot of people ended up turning out records, you know, during, during 2020 and the shutdown mm -hmm. and stuff. And I think, yeah. you know, for, for as devastating as a time it was, I feel like the art world really saw a surge in create creativity mm -hmm. because we were all feeling all of these emotions and we had to have some kind of catharsis, you know, and release to get it out. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, I think, a good reminder to all of us, too, of we have to do this no matter what, you know, I, with live music shutting down, it was just it kind of felt like it simplified everything back to like, okay, well, we just have to do this. Even if we're not out there touring or performing, like we're all just going to be making music in our homes. Cause this is, this is how we communicate and this is how we live really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there, there was no other way for us to get around that. I think for some artists, I think they were really forced to, to kind of sit into their feelings. And that's why so many good, you know, records have been, just kind of produced out of the pandemic. And I, and I hate to say that because, you know, in such a dark time, I mean, it's, it's hard for us to kind of, you know, the hindsight 2020 kind of deal, but that, I guess there's always light with dark too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Right. And, and might as well lean into the light and celebrate it and recognize like, okay, there really were good things 
that happen that never would have happened otherwise. Absolutely. To me, just this, the general like slowing down of life and the everybody like home gardening and like baking bread and stuff. What a beautiful thing that never would have happened. I mean, obviously I'm not like glad that there was a sickness that made that happen, but we'll always have that and remember that time that was just, you know, simpler in terms of everyday life. Yeah. Like not cars being out on the road. It was so crazy there for a while. Yeah. (laughs) The the smog actually lifted from New York. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody's like, oh, this is what New York looks like when there isn't, you know, a thousand million cars all over the road. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So talk to me about the title track of your LP. Let's talk about In Front of Us. Yeah. So that one was one of the older ones. I think it was written in 2019, I would guess, um, because I remember, yeah, my friend Andrew Combs, who I'm a huge fan of, um, came over to write and we were sitting on the porch talking and I had had the idea for the first verse. I just had like a little snippet of the first verse, but I just remember having this clear feeling of um, that when, (laughs) this sounds kind of depressing, but um, when I got married, it made me think a lot about death and how like when you marry somebody, you're signing up to experience the full spectrum of life with that person and death. And I mean, not not even marriage, just any partnership when you're like committed, you're like, okay, we're going to experience, you know, our parents dying and eventually each other dying. And, you know, who knows what else, like you're just signing up for the unexpected. And, um, and I had just been reflecting on that a lot. And so that was sort of the sentiment that we started running with for that song. And then again, you know, a couple of years later when the pandemic started, then it was like death was all around and felt very present. And it was just a a reminder of like, okay, really all we have is right now, like, something crazy could happen tomorrow or in five minutes. So, yeah. So that's kind of where the, the idea came from. And um, Andrew was just amazing to write it with. He just, I remember he wrote, he just was kind of like spitballing and the chorus just, I feel like came out of his mouth, like as if it was a fully formed idea. He was just like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, yeah, there we go. That's the chorus. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, yeah. So the writing came together easily. And then the, the recording was really fun. You know, we sort of made it like a duet and Andrew sung it from home and I sung it from home. And, um, and then our friend Kai Welch is the one who put all the horns on it. And that is, I love just all the kind of new Orleans-y horns going on, on that song. Yeah. I thought that was really unique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is sort of a departure style wise from the rest sonically, but um, it felt like such a good ending to just sort of celebratory and yeah. Absolutely. Well, I love that when, you know, when you get into a room with a writer, in this case, maybe a Zoom room, you know, right. And, right. and just ideas start spitballing out and all of a sudden somebody just, you know, spouts out a chorus and you're like, that's yeah, it right there. That's it. Yeah. It's so nice when you don't have to, I mean, there's definitely times where you have to angst over like, oh, what is this one word? But then sometimes chunks just come all at once and it's so satisfying when that happens. Yeah. How long did it take you guys to write it? You know, this was actually, it was before the pandemic. So it was on my porch. Um, and 
I think like a few out, maybe a couple hours. Like I remember once we really got into it, it, it came together pretty quickly. That's great. Um, yeah. Which is just not always the case. Right. <laughs> or, rights or solo rights. So yeah, I'll take it when it comes like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been in rights before where, you know, we had a song in an hour and a half from start to finish. Yeah. And then I've been in rights that we started, we worked for two hours and we decided, okay, we're going to stop. And then we come back like next week, we work for yeah. another two hours, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Sometimes it really it takes, it takes some dedication and, you know, I definitely have times on those longer ones where it's like, okay, is this worth it? Am I overthinking it? You know, should it be so hard? But then sometimes really good songs come out of that too, when you just keep chiseling away at it and wait till the really right ideas come. Absolutely. Uh, my, so my sister and I, we write together and I think there was a song that she had kind of, you know, tucked away for 10 mm. years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Before we it. breathed new life into it and edited a little bit yeah. and just kind of worked it out. And then eventually we released it. But oh it's gosh. funny how sometimes, you know, how sometimes like a song just feels like, well, this just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel current. doesn't feel like mm-hmm. anybody would relate. Yeah. And then here we are a decade later and, and everybody loves it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm impressed and proud that you guys saw it through to the end. Cause I know I think I can speak for all songwriters that we probably all have snippets of choruses or verses, you know, wherever we keep them that are from ages ago that may may not see the light of day. Absolutely. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. There's notebooks upon notebooks in the world right now that are full yes. of just oh little God. one-liners. <laughs> oh yeah. And voice memos and notes and the phone. Yeah. Just everywhere. But it's good. I feel like part of it is just recognizing when something is like, okay, this is really worth fleshing out. So let's give it some attention. Absolutely. Um, so talk to me about excuses. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is a song that I really enjoyed. Um, I, from the arrangement to the, to the words and the chorus, um, I just, I thought it was really interesting and I wanted to know what the backstory of this was. Thank you. First of all, um, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, that's one of my favorites for sure. And that is one where I had um, I had the first verse and the chorus for quite a while, like even a year or something, you know, like I just had the start of that song for a long time. And then I just felt sort of stuck and I'd come back to it periodically, but I just wasn't quite sure Um exactly what else I want to say. And then, yeah. And then it was like during, you know, once we started working on this record and life had slowed down and I was home and had time, then I, you know, then I just sat down and was like, okay, this is what needs to happen. And um, yeah, it kind of started, I feel like the inspiration for the song started from more of like a personal experience, but then it kind of grew like the second verse grew into more of like a political uh, statement. And, you know, those, I mean, every, every year is politically charged, but those times like, you know, 2020 was just like, felt like the heat was really on and, um, and yeah. So the political atmosphere was like very present in all of our lives. And um, yeah, so that came out in that song 
for sure. Gotcha. I, I, I wondered, I felt kind of that political vibe and that's also yeah. what kind of lent me into that whole, like, you know, Joni-esque type of Laurel Canyon sound. I'm like, man, this, this feels like a, you know, almost like a 1960s protest song. Yes. Good. You know? <laughs> I'm glad that it has that. Yeah. Yeah. It felt really liberating too. I mean, like, it sounds so silly, but that was the first song that I like saying fuck and you know like just <laughs> and I I've always been I don't know I feel like as I've gotten older I've just am in a constant state of like reclaiming not needing to be like nice or a people pleaser all the time and so oh, that wow. song really felt like a moment of that to just be like I'm just gonna let it all out there and the, be myself <laughs> good for you yeah. thank you yeah that well and it's hard especially as a musician and a writer because inevitably you are going to piss somebody off yes you know yeah, exactly <laughs> right and then you have to remember like oh that's fine like that's part of it and that's kind of healthy in a way yeah but- we're so programmed. I don't know. I feel programmed from a young age to be like, Oh, you want people to like you and people to feel comfortable. And so then part of being an artist is being like, Oh, it's okay for people to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, I think there's a fine line between being the artist that is okay with being uncomfortable. And then the artist that intentionally wants you to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Right. Right. And and Absolutely. and those and both lines are good. Both lines yeah. are fine because yeah. I think there are some artists out there. Their their purpose in life is to challenge your way of thinking. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, and, sure. and so when you when you feel challenged, that it's a period of growth. If you want it to be, you can either say, you know <laughs> right. what, maybe maybe I'll think about it from this point of view, or you can yeah. shut it down. Yeah. But either way, it's perfectly fine if whatever this artist says, you know, invigorates you or just really pisses you off. Both are valid. Right. right. But I think people forget anymore because of that conditioning, mm-hmm. you know, that it is okay for people to piss you off and it's okay for you to piss other people off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And even you know, that song is like a little bit more of a just generally pissed off song and that's it felt good to like go to that place and kind of have a channel for that feeling. Cause there, I mean, I think a lot of us were feeling pissed off at that time. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I really liked that song. Cause I was like, yeah, I felt that way. Absolutely. Yes, right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do think everybody has somebody that they're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely relatable.
talk to me a little bit about um, Peace by Moonlight. Sure. Yeah. So that was one of the later songs that came. So I think we started recording the record in July was like our first session. And then by the time um, December rolled around, we had about half the album recorded or maybe seven songs. And, um, and I just, yeah, I feel like Peace by Moonlight was a sentiment that I wanted to express of like, you know, there's a, there's definitely a lot of light and dark going on in this record. And that was a moment of like looking forward and seeing hopefulness and like seeing a better future. And um, so I wanted there to be a song about that. Like, okay, things are, (laughs) we're finally going to get some relief here. And uh, my friend JT Nero from Birds of Chicago came over and that was one where it was, you know, it was like, we were social distancing. We were on my porch. It was December. So it was very cold, oh, but gosh. we just were both bundled up and had a fire and we had sort of winterized our porch. We had like electric blankets and stuff out there. Cause that was the only place we saw anybody. Um, but he came over and we wrote that song and we did a little, I think we started that one with sending each other voice memos and ideas and, um, And then, yeah, I think that one came, we might've had two writing sessions for that one. I can't remember if it was one or two, but um, yeah, JT and I had never written together before and that was really fun. And, and uh, it came together pretty easily and just felt like it said, it said exactly what I wanted to say, which was just like, we are moving in the right direction, even though it doesn't always feel like it. And there will be relief at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I feel that, you know, with all of the songs on this record, I feel like the underlying theme is hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think. You know, so, I mean, I, I know that you wrote quite a bit of it, you know, you know, during the, the heat of the pandemic and even mm-hmm. it for it being such a tumultuous time, I really felt that sense of hope in this record that, you know, we are going to move forward. It's not going to be easy and it's not going to be comfortable. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we're finding a way. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you really nailed it. That is because I just felt like in so many ways, politically, personally with the pandemic, like hope was, you know, at times it felt like this is all I have is just being able to believe that it's going to get better. It's like, that's how you get through it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I I wanted to know what is your favorite song on this record? Gosh, it's so hard to pick, but uh, it's like choosing a kid. It is. (laughs) I know. You know, the one that jumps to my mind first is excuses. I think that one just feels so good to me. Like I love the song itself. I love the production going back to the, our Tom Petty conversation. Like, I feel like that has a lot of that um, Tom Petty you know rock vibe in there and um yeah that one just felt so good it was so fun to record we you know one of the um upsides of recording at home was we could just work on it whenever and I one of the vocal takes we did for that was like late at night and we had been just like hanging out and drinking and I thought I was going to bed and then Jamie was like why don't we just record one real quick and I think even that like comes across in the song that it just feels like pissed but laid back you know like we're just kind of like telling it like it is and 
um, yeah, so I have really fond memories of the recording part. That's cool. So do you and Jamie, do you do pretty much all of your, your music together? You know, we have, yeah, I mean, we met right before my first record and I actually like asked him to play on my record before I had ever heard him play drums and before he had heard my music, we were like definitely flirting and just being like, oh, I'm, I'm making an album and I need a drummer, you know? <laughs> um, but then working on that first record together, it was like, oh yeah, he's, I just saw how he's really awesome in a studio setting. Like I just trust him implicitly musically and love his ideas and he just has this energy that kind of gets turned on in the studio that was really exciting to me so um yeah I mean he's played on everything that I've recorded with drums and then he co-produced my last record but this was really his first like real producing um and again it was you know a product of <laughs> of the pandemic and being stuck at home and it was like okay we've always fantasized about having a home studio so if ever there was a time this is it yeah and um yeah so it was definitely the most closely we had worked on something together for sure wow. so mm -hmm. did he mix and master it as well he did not um he would he definitely like was kind of mixing as we went the whole time but then we handed it over to our friend joe pazapia to mix um and he just did an incredible job and i definitely give him a lot of credit for that bringing everyone together and making it sa sound like we were all in a room together when we were in <laughs> various rooms across nashville and you know the world really yeah um yeah so he did a great job and then Dave McNair mastered it um and he also just did an impeccable job and you know it's like I mean you know from being a musician every part is so exciting because when you know when you get the mixes for the first time it's like oh my god the record has a whole new life and then getting the masters back was so exciting so there's so many points along the way where it just is like a level up yeah Wow, yeah. that is amazing to me. Just, you know, the fact that you're you're a husband-wife duo and you recorded this record in your home, you know, you tracked everything and then you sent your stems off, got it mixed and mastered, and and that's the product you turned out. That's freaking incredible. <laughs> that's so nice. Thank you. No, I mean seriously. I like so. Okay, the first the first song, "Climber," right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I when I turned this on and I hit play, and like the sounds came into my earbuds, I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> You know, because like I said earlier, you know, it's there's so many sounds here that I love because I, I grew up listening to 50s and 60s and 70s music. I didn't yeah. I didn't listen to 80s and 90s, you know, right, you know right. I'm, I'm technically an 80s baby. Yeah. Um, so to know that this record was made in your home studio and these yeah. are the sounds you achieved. I am in just awe of you guys. Like, Well, I mean, I, I don't even want to say thank you because I feel like I take, can't take credit for it. But I feel the same way when I listen to it. I'm like, I cannot believe how this sounds. Like, just, you know, based on being in our little guest room and recording it and then everyone at home being in their home studios, it's just really yeah, a testament to how good everybody is and how great of a job Joe did at mixing it and um, and just technology. Like the fact that we're able to record separately and bring it all together and make it actually sound good is pretty miraculous. It is. 
It is. It's and it's it's crazy because yeah, I remember back in the day when GarageBand first came out. This was like I don't know, early two thousand five or six. Yeah. And I think it was Eric Clapton ended up recording an entire album at his house in London. And they they recorded it into GarageBand, mixed and mastered it all in GarageBand. No way. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, you know, one of the first records that had been done at home with an artist rather than going into the studio. And, you know, maybe they might have touched up some stuff here and there and, and, you know, in the in the mix and master, I guess. But but yeah. So ever since then, people have been migrating towards, you know, building home studios and, Mm -hmm. you know, and doing the majority of the tracking at home and then sending it out because, you save so much in studio time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's such a freedom that comes with being in your own space and not having time constraints. And, you know, some of the parts that we would get back from friends, I just really, I mean, nobody knows what it would have been like if we hadn't done it that way, but I believe that there was like an extra layer of creativity or even like weirdness or just uninhibitedness in the parts because everybody was just home getting to try stuff and and play yeah an experiment yeah yeah absolutely I you know I have kind of like a home studio set up here as well and so Mm -hmm. whenever I'm trying to just kind of lay down ideas and you know really get the production side of things down yeah I can't imagine what it would have been like you know, back in the 60s and 70s when, you know, sometimes the bands would literally go into the studio and write the album there in the studio. Oh my gosh. I know. When I hear those stories, I'm like, could I do that? I mean, I don't right. know. I'd like to believe that I could, but it's so not how I operate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Oh, I've definitely heard stories about, I mean, so many musicians, but Bob Dylan just being there with his band and like hanging out for hours and playing pool. And then he would like disappear and then come back and be like, okay, let's record, like, let's try this song. And (laughs) just such, yeah, a different experience. Yeah. I can't, I think it was a, I think it was a Beatles story about how they, they went into the studio and literally wrote one of their earlier albums. Mm. It was like one of the, like the late sixties albums or something like that. And I just, I was floored because I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> I can't oh, do no. that. I know. I think I would feel so much pressure and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's nuts. I'm glad we don't have to do that. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So since we, you know, we've talked about some of your influences like Joni and Linda and Tom, no. um, who are some of your other influences? Mm, um, you know, let's see. I'm a big Jenny Lewis fan. I've been a fan of her music for a really long time. And I feel like that kind of comes through here and there, like excuses and other songs that have a little bit of that, like edge. I yeah. think it's definitely <clears throat> some of her influence and um, who else? I love um, Lucius. I'm a big Lucius fan and just love like all those layers of harmony. Oh, I just, yeah. I really love harmony singing in general and just always gravitate towards like lots of vocals um so we had a lot of fun with the harmonies on this record were you singing the majority of the harmonies I wasn't it was um it was kind of like 
it felt like an opportunity to just bring in like all my favorite <laughs> harmony singers. So there's a bunch of different background vocalists. Kashana sings on a few of the songs and that was amazing. And um, Alison Russell sang on a couple and that was really fun. And my friend Ruth Moody and she's in Canada and wow. Christopher Weber sings on some of them. So it's, it was kind of like, oh, Jill Andrews sings on Hope. So it was like a fun way to be like, oh, who's, what's just the right voice for this song um, yeah, that was a fun part of it too. And just again, like being isolated and being far away from people, it was a chance to feel like, oh, we're singing together, <laughs> you know, even though we weren't actually, it was just like, you felt that communion of singing together. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, that is so cool. Yeah. Super cool. It was fun. So I think that, um, you know what, hang on just a second. Oh, My yeah. sister's dog is like oh. whining. Okay. Leia, what's the matter with you? Come here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, no, take your time. She's whining. Hang on just a second. I'll be right back. Oh, yeah. Crazy. She doing okay? I love that dog, but she's so needy sometimes. Oh, no. <laughs> I apologize. No, it's fine. What kind of dog is she? Oh, she's a mixed breed. Yeah. Um, she's kind of like a cross between a Chihuahua, Dachshund, and a um, a Terrier. Oh, well, I bet she's very cute. Oh, she's adorable. <laughs> oh, very cute. Breeze. I wish I could get her to come over here. I'd show her to you. Um, but she's being, she's being yeah. weird. <laughs> she has needs. She does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy dog. Um, okay. So I think there's one more song I wanted to ask about was Cool mm-hmm. Under Pressure. Yeah. Um, so that one, I, so I, uh, co-write frequently with Carrie Ott. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a great songwriter and, um, yeah, he's just one of, you know, like when you co-write, you just find your go-to people that you're like, okay, we, we always like have a great time writing together and can come up with something good usually. Um, or at least something weird. And, and we came, we got together to write and we came up with basically the melody and the arrangement of that song, but we didn't have any lyrics and we kept trying different lyrics, but just like nothing was feeling quite right. Um, so we have a demo of that song where it's just me singing like gibberish sounds, but the melody is exactly pretty much as it turned out. And then it was right around the time of the, um, vice presidential debate and I remember watching that debate and being really struck by Kamala Harris's like performance in that debate and just basically how strong she was and and the whole thing of like not letting herself be interrupted like I hadn't really I couldn't think of an example that I had seen like that you know of someone just being so calm and just like no this is my time to talk and fully owning that. And um, that was the thing that, that really struck me. And I was like, I feel like there's a song in here somewhere. So then I just kind of started running with that idea. And, um, and Carrie and I, you know, collaborated from afar on the lyrics, but um, yeah, so it was definitely inspired by that. And 
you know, it's funny because I've had people um, be like, well, is it about Kamala Harris? And I don't even think it necessarily is. It just is about a woman taking ownership of herself and being brave, basically, and being a leader. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. Well, and, you know, I think there, there's a, there's a major need for that Mm -hmm. kind of music and that kind of message, Mm -hmm. especially for, you know, today's younger generation. My, my sister has two younger boys and Mm -hmm. my family is full of very strong, independent women. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So they're learning very quickly. Yeah. (laughs) They're learning very quickly. You don't mess with a strong woman. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Good. <laughs> well, I have a feeling these are going to be some good men when they grow up because they've been raised by a tribe of strong, independent women. Very true. Very true. But I think it's so important that there's music in the world for younger ladies and girls, you know, as they come up, they get to see people like Kamala Harris who are strong and mm-hmm. they're not about to be told that, you know, they don't have a right to speak. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. And just, you know, there are women in every field absolutely killing it. And I just wanted to draw attention to that. Like there's just, yeah, (laughs) women are running shit. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I had Crystal Bowersox on the show a couple episodes ago and we were talking about how things feel very different when women are running it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, they they sure do. You know, and and it's it's not that we're that we're dogging on our our men in the industry. You know, there there's some wonderful individuals that are in this industry. Um Chris Chris Donahue, for example, I'm launching his episode today. Oh, cool. He's he's one of those musicians that's played with everybody and their brother and he's mm-hmm. the nicest guy. Mm, yes. You know, yeah. But and 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 we need men like that for sure, but we definitely need these stronger women and these songwriters who are writing about strong women, you know, to yeah. shed more light on them so that so that girls see that example as they come up and go, "Wait a minute, I can right. do that." Yeah. Oh my gosh, exactly. It just made me think of um I don't know if you follow the Book More Women Instagram feed. it's it's so cool it's um I don't know who I should find out who does it but they for years they've been doing it and it's posters of um festival lineups and they just take all the men off there and leave the women on so sometimes it's really revealing when it's like oh there's actually two bands with women in them or you know there's like just a handful of women and all the rest is men but I do really feel like in I don't know the past couple of years at least festivals and you know music events are are really getting the message that it's like okay we need to actually make some changes and not only include women but more like BIPOC bands and you know just spread things out to just not be like and it's a white man band again right um yeah so it seems like it's definitely there's forward motion for sure yeah thank goodness um (laughs) (laughs) you know I I have a a couple of friends they've been uh on a really amazing tour circuit and mm-hmm. but I've noticed the same thing is that there I mean maybe Lizzie Hale and Hailstorm yeah. was on that was on that roster mm-hmm. but I think in the grand total of all the bands that was at this festival I think there were maybe two or three bands that were female fronted 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) It is crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said about just like the younger generations coming up, like they need to know I can headline this festival. Like I can do, you know, I can play as big of a show as whatever man band. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for writing that song and, and, you know, and just drawing attention to, to powerful women, because we just, we need more of that. You know, I know it is, it is getting better, Mm -hmm. but we're not there yet. No, exactly. Right. And it's not just getting better by accident. Like we all just, we all need to be working on it and be drawing attention to it. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been just a wonderful interview, Allie. I can't thank you enough for, for talking about your record. And it's been so fun. Thank you for asking such great questions and clearly, you know, listening to it. Yeah. (laughs) It means a lot. Like when you put so much time in something and then when somebody really has not just like listened off the cuff, but really digested it. It's just, it means, you know, there's nothing greater than that. Well, I'm, I'm happy that we got connected and that I was, that I was, you know, given the opportunity to, to discuss your record with you because I think it's, it's phenomenal. So I want to know, are you touring it? Are you going to be performing it? I am. Yes. I'm touring this month, actually. Today's the first day of June. So I'm touring at the end of June um northeast tour so i'll be in new york and um philly and boston area dc area um i'm getting to open some shows for josh rouse which i'm really excited about he's a great songwriter yeah thank you very pumped about those um and then i'm sort of in the process of booking more shows for july and august i'm my own booking agent so it's been (laughs) slow and it's been kind of like an intense time of everybody being out on tour and trying to wiggle in those spots but um yeah more touring to be announced soon awesome well that's wonderful I hope I get to catch a show that'd be great thank you yeah and actually um next Thursday I'm playing a Lachlan Strings show here in town which I'm really excited about nice uh so actually I'll be in town I, uh, my, my band, my sister and I, we're playing a showcase on June 10th. So I will try to catch your show. That'd be so fun. I'll send you the info. Yeah, please do. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person one of these days soon. Likewise. Well, thanks again for coming on the show today, Allie. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you so very much, Allie, for coming on the show and sharing about this record. I just absolutely love it, and I just can't stop listening to it either. So links are in the show notes, everybody. Make sure that you go download Allie's new record called In Front of Us. You heard excuses today on the show. Just go listen to everything else. You're going to love it. I promise. Make sure that you head on over to musiconthemovestudios.com to see what we're doing. This weekend, June 10th, we are playing at Bento Living Chestnut Hill. Aaron McClendon and the Hellcats will be headlining. My band, LPS, will be one of the openers. And Jenny Teeter will also be on the billing as well. So make sure you check us out. We'll see you next time, friends. Thank you so much.